Welcome, everyone, to this week's podcast. I'm here with Al Wilson. Hi, Al. Hi, Toby. Hello, everyone. This week we've got a uh, an interesting topic, um, the topic of anorexia and bulimia. Um, so I wanted to just start because uh, you've written about it um, somewhat in your book, The Power Shift, Al, um, and you've shared how you did suffer from anorexia and bulimia. Um, so I just wanted to ask, sort of run through a few questions about that and see if we could sure. stimulate some thought. Um, I mean, first off, when did this happen for you? I was, um, I was around 18, 17, 18. I got unwell when I was 16 and I think that um, I had to go on some medication and the med- medication actually I put some weight on because of it. And is this for the anorexia and bulimia? Well, this is a precursor. Yes, precursor. Right, right. And I think that I, I really, I was really going through a lot at that time in my life. There was a lot of pressure that I put on myself to excel, and uh, and I think that I was really looking for a way to manage. I didn't have any of the right formulas. Like we talk about that all the time, and I had to really make them up myself. So. Life was just a very difficult thing for me to navigate in. I didn't, I didn't have the right formulas. I didn't have. So the how did principles. that? How do you see that that um, formed into, or when did you first notice um, going from that difficulty, what you're describing, like a life difficulty, into this um, anorexia and bulimia, like, like what was the formation of that or when did you become aware of that or was that later? Like what was the transition of just, you know, uh, difficulties in life, which sure. many people experience, to forming into anorexia and bulimia? I think for me it was, it was when I began to realise that I was getting some pleasure out of having a level of control around something so out of control everything felt so I I just didn't and you know we can pull that word out of it even but I just had no idea I had no idea how to how to live I really just didn't know I didn't know how to get the things I wanted I didn't know how to how to navigate through my life so I I started um, looking I was always looking externally that was one of the things that I did a lot I wasn't really grounded even as a young girl I'd sort of in the book I talk about this a lot where I actually was quite uh, lost. You know, I'd, I'd given up a lot of my inner world to focus so much on the external world because so much was going on there. And my focus was I was trying to ground myself externally rather than as we, anyone that's read The Power Shift will know that can't, that's not, that's all temporary. You can't do that. That's why we suffer so much rather than grounding myself in and building a foundation of within me like a garden you know talk about the garden a lot and you know taking out the weeds and just letting my garden blossom I didn't know how to do that I had no idea my parents didn't know how to do that and for me I think my journey led me down to like I I really I had um I had a lot going on and I and I wanted to know so there was there was kind of like a real there was something inside of me that really wanted to work it out and I had to navigate my power to turn and shift my power into something because I had a lot of power, even as a young girl. I was very powerful in the way that I thought and and yet all of that turned into a big ball of confusion because I didn't have guidance, I didn't have the right principles. I didn't you know, I didn't have an understanding 
Okay, so so I just want to come back for a moment to one thing you mentioned just um, a moment ago, which was control. You felt out of control in um, um, at that time, and when you you said you you've uh, in a way saw anorexia and bulimia as a way of um, taking back control. Uh, are you referring to taking control of your body? Is that is that what you were controlling? Well, let me take you back one step from that. It's like um, when you said, and I said, to take control, why does someone want to take control of anything? Like why do we become controlling? Why do we want to take control of whether it's our body, whether it's another person, whether it's our life, like why do we want to do that? Why do we feel like we need to control? It's because we're scared. We're absolutely petrified. And, and you know, in that fear, the fear becomes our master. So fear is telling us what to do. We're actually listening to fear. And fear is going to give you the wrong advice because mm-hmm. it's just that's the way that it is. You know, it's, it, it's going to tell you that you need to do more of something that's actually not good for you. It's going to tell you that the answer is absolutely outside of you and that you, you need to be controlling of something. So what I was actually doing was I was afraid and, and fear was my master, fear, doubt, uncertainty. And if you really look at that, you know, was I bad? Had I done something wrong? Did I have terrible karma? I mean, why did I choose fear? Because I had nothing. I didn't feel like I had anything else. I, I, was, I was under a spell to some extent that I'd put there myself, like a misunderstanding of reality. And and I'd sort of fallen into this idea that I was going to do something and that something fear said is to take control of the body. So what happened practically? But let me just, one step before that again, I'm sorry because it's all just, sorry Toby, it's all sure. just coming to me. So by taking control of my body, I also felt like I was going to be controlling others because, you know, I had, um, I was probably really angry some people in my life and and so in fact there was it was also about that there's so much in it it gets so it becomes like a labyrinth like once you say yes to fear and you let fear be your master the labyrinth becomes such a web of deceit it becomes you're just in this in this this whirlwind you know like you you just you're lost and, and you're believing it, right? Absolutely. Mm. So it's almost like the first step is to go, hang on a minute, something's wrong. So practically what it looked like, I mean, I was one of the fortunate ones. I didn't really lose so much weight that I was um, dangerously ill. For it. I mean, these mm-hmm. girls and young boys, you know, that happens to people. Um, but the bulimia kicked in, which was, you know, the other side of you. You don't have control. You realise you've lost control. So that's, you know, there's, there's that. You know, again, it's not working. To me, when I think of bulimia and anorexia, I think the bulimia is kind of like a, it's already starting to show you that it's not working. You can't, you, you're not able to control. What you do with that, that, that piece of honesty mm-hmm. is you either fear takes it again and you become bulimic, you know, and you, you think that you're going to still try and do it in another way. Or you look at it, and for me, I, I had to at some point look at it. I realised, um, so from a practical, sorry, from a practical perspective. Wow, that's really interesting. Sorry, I just sort of saw what you were saying. So so you're saying with the anorexia, you're looking at um, 
like sort of not eating, you could say, you know, and 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 in in that feeling um, empowered. Yeah, and that and that can't um, it inevitably comes to a point where either someone would pass away from that, or they would realise um, they would realise that they would um, um, not not be able to uh, sustain it. So then there's a realisation that, whoa, I can't, I can't take full control in that way. So then bulimia becomes a, um, a, a sort of a stepping stone across to, ah, this is actually another way where I can control it or, or I can sort of sustain it for, for a longer period of time. So what type of, um, uh, what type of um, um, thoughts did you have in your mind at that time? When uh, the bulimia, the thoughts of bulimia. Yeah, well, both, both, and anorexia, and then and then bulimia. Were they different? Was it a different um, internal experience, or or was it a similar internal experience with a different outward manifestation? Um, I think that I think that anorexia um, sort of creeps up on you. So you you're looking. To, you're looking to use your power somehow because we all we have this incredible power where you know we've got this incredible we're infinite infinite source of energy and so mm-hmm. we have all this power to shift and move all the time and and in, and with anorexia I think um, in my experience I would never want to say that I understand the experience of anyone you know everyone has their own individual experience and to say that it's this and that you know the world likes to do that it likes to say oh it's about control oh it's about this oh it's about that but you can't ever heal, you know. Love never does that, you know. Love only love can heal these kinds of um, thinking disorders, really. You know, love from other people? Uh, no, like the love within us all that we are, you know, mm-hmm. the deeper place of love within us, that purity within us. That so a choice for love heal. that someone makes. Absolutely, you, know, you have to. You've got to go deep within to truly heal, heal these these disorders, and. Um, and so I think anorexia really, for me personally, crept up on me. I started to feel good, started to feel, I didn't kind of think, oh, I'm out of control and I want to be in control and I'm going to choose this. It wasn't like that. It was just these little tiny little, it was creeping in, creeping in, these thoughts of, I can't even remember to tell you the truth what they were. Mm-hmm. But these little thoughts that would creep in that I was saying yes to, tiny little insidious little thoughts coming from fear that I just said yes, and once you do that, that's what I was speaking about before, it becomes a labyrinth. You can't find your way out where you think you can't. And that, that's where I think really wonderful mentors or wonderful support mechanisms that can come in and once your willingness opens up, so important. And for bulimia, well, of course, it's the, the judge, the critic. It's, it's quite devastating. You know, it's so severe for some people that, you know, you're you're listening to thoughts of disgust and shame and guilt, and it's it's really it's quite intense. So, um, and I think that that um, you know, when you get to that stage, for me, I knew I needed help. I knew actually, in fact, that I I just didn't know how to live a wholesome, nurtureful, soulful life, and. And for me, I wanted that more than anything, and I just had. Even at that young age, you you had some something in you that knew that you wanted that. Absolutely, I, and that's why I went looking for help, and I took myself to a behavioural unit, which was fabulous because it wasn't sort of like a psychiatric kind of unit or anything like that. It was a behavioural unit. I took myself there, 
and uh, and I met. I mean, that was one of the most amazing times of my life, where I met other people. Where I started to look around me and think, wow. I mean, these these people had real serious issues. You know, I actually could see that I I, I could see at least. I started to recognise. I started to actually feel my own heart open when I was connecting to these other girls that were having these really serious eating disorders. I mean, where they were put into these this unit with by police because mm-hmm. they were you know, trying to just die, in mm-hmm. fact. Mm-hmm. Um, other girls that had, and young boys, one young girl that had, um, you know, really serious uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder. I fell in love with her. I fell in love with all these people there. A young boy that was a compulsive liar. Right? There was just streams and streams of people that were just having all these challenges and difficulties. And I just, I, I really, felt, I honestly have to say for years, you know, I had shut myself off. My brother had died. It was a lot of trauma in our family. And I, I must have at this stage, you're off. you're 19 at this stage. Is I was that... probably 20 at About that 20, stage, right. and uh, and and so I, I experienced this opening in my heart um, as I was connecting with these people. They started coming and talking to me. They would tell me things that they wouldn't even tell these psychologists, or they wouldn't tell the nurses. And I became like almost like a, a, a someone that was a confidant to them. Yeah, is that yeah. the right word? Confident, I think so. Confident, yeah, like I was like that. And and it was almost like they were coming to me and sharing their deepest secrets with me. And I I just, I would listen and I'd love them. I just didn't judge them at all. I just felt this love that was then began to stream through me and started to heal me in a way. Like I started In some way, do you think that the empathy, because what you're referring to there is empathy, that's what I hear. Do you think that the empathy was in some way the result of your own suffering. Like if you if you hadn't have have gone through the previous difficulty and then you're in there and you're experiencing um, all of these people coming and telling you about these things, do you think that um, that your your past experience had, had had increased your capacity for empathy? Um, I believe so. I think that the difficulty for me was an increase it's not to say that you have to well you probably we all have difficulty in different stages and different types of difficulty for me um yes i I think you're right i don't think i think it definitely increased my um i i i must have needed it seems to have that intense kind of you know experience with others and to see and love them even as flawed as that's that you know they were to society I could see their beauty. I could actually still see them, you know, and and that's maybe what brought them to me, why they came, why they felt loved, why they felt like, you know, and, of course, I had to keep all their secrets, which then gave me another layer to discern through, do I do that? If that's Is that for their best interests? What do I do with it? Do I not say anything, you know? So I, I did. young to be in the midst of all that, isn't it? Well, I was young, and I, and I think... I, I, yeah, I, I, I did keep the secrets. I did do that, and um, and uh, and when I, I, I think also that time for me was like learning life skills. I had to learn life skills. There was life skills in there that now I, I can't. So you remember. were being you were being taught. Um, do you mean just organically being in the environment you learned life skills or there are actual classes in classes. the behavioural unit? Right, yeah. right, right. And wow. this was like a, this was amazing because this was actually like a test. They were trialling it for the first time ever. 
I don't know how I found it and, you know, it's kind of a bit of a miracle really. Mm-hmm. And there I was and I was learning these life skills and I remember my psychologist said to me at one point when I said to him, oh, I think I'm going to, you know, I'm going to just wait around and, you know, and he just looked at me one day and, and I said to him, I'll start my beauty course because I'd been offered to go and do beauty. So I was like 20 mm-hmm. by my sister, which was never something that I was even thinking of doing. And he said to me, he said, pack your things he said, go start it now. And he, was, and, and he said, no, there's no waiting. He said, you go and you do it. I mean, he really believed in me. He could see so much in me that I couldn't even see in myself. And it just took that one person for me. And I just loved him. Like he was so clean in, in, in the way he delivered it. You know, it was like, no, this is not your path. You're not going to be doing this. You're not going to wait. You're, not, you're going to go right now. You're going to pack your things. It's time. You know, and 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 it was just amazing to have this. So was this that time? Um, was that basically your catalyst toward um, recovery or healing? Um, that, or? No, no, not at all. I think I think that time allowed me to experience an opening, and then uh, I had some life skills which I still didn't understand. I was very strong in my will. I had a very strong personal will. Mm-hmm. And I then took what I'd learned, I guess, and, and then I was I got married, I was thrown into business and then I just became this I just threw everything into business and I became so driven. Yeah, so, you were running your own businesses you, at twenty one. Yeah, yeah. twenty one, wow. And 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 again, I think I I sort of turned my compass around. I took it away from my body image. I found value in other things that I was making money and I was growing a business. And but I really still didn't know what I was doing. You know, I still didn't. The reality is, I was still coming from fear. But I just maneuvered. I was very good at maneuvering. And and that's why I don't know. I don't know. Oh, actually, I do know. I think that now when I mentor, what's beautiful about that is that nothing really. I see a lot. It's mm-hmm. not like I'm I'm mentoring because I've read a book or I'm mentoring because I'm not. You know, I haven't experienced and I haven't gone through the rough, extremely tough uh, journey. I have, and so for me, as I as I began to. Um, to navigate again in a new way, another way where fear really was mastering me, even though my heart had opened. Um, I had another extremely deep opening when I had Yani. I had my first child, huge opening. Something happened to me then where I was just starting to think, hang on a minute, I was starting to take much more accountability for in, internally my business like my clients because all of a sudden I started to see wow I have this incredible responsibility like I, you know I was starting to sort of life was taking me as it was unfolding deeper and deeper into my heart and I didn't know what I was doing I didn't know how I even actually my first marriage after I had my my second child my first marriage um was over and I went out looking to find solutions. I was looking, I was seeking, I was thinking, wow, is, that was wrong. I couldn't even sit in my own marriage, in fact, because again, I just had no idea. And it took, it really took a complete slamming into a wall for me again. So when did the recovery sort of take place? Well, the recovery, you know, I didn't have anorexia and bulimia in my 20s, but you know, this is the funny thing, isn't it? We call it anorexia and bulimia, but it has very many, it's got different faces different masks, masks itself as drivenness, you, know, you can't, obsessiveness, um, 
externalizing everything. It masks itself as self-harming. So blame becomes a key Absolutely. tool. But it just masks itself in so many different ways. And, um, and again, it's not, you know, you have to get it. Like I always say about pulling the weed out very gently out of your garden and you have to pull it all the way through the root system as you just draw it up. And you know how you draw out a, draw it, um, out a weed and mm-hmm. it, it breaks at the, at yeah, the top at the of, the, of the soil yeah, yeah. and then you pull it out and it just comes out and the whole thing comes out and there's this kind of like, oh, I love that. I mean, I love that when I do that. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. I hadn't done that. I hadn't done it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what it looked like on the outside. I looked like a very successful person. I was respected. I was valued. You know, the whole community thought I was fantastic. I was getting accolades and all of that, but I had not pulled out that weed from the core. So I couldn't have a relationship that was um, empowering or happy or deep because I didn't know how. I was still in that mask phase. Fear was still there, and and I think that when I when I I did separate and um, moved away with the children, I, I, I hit the wall so hard and I sort of had a really crazy kind of time where I really, I think I was sort of living out my teenage years because I didn't do that for a couple of years and it's a little mm-hmm. bit of a mess. Um, and, and then I hit that wall really hard and that was really the last time I hit the wall that, that hard. I didn't have to hit it that hard ever again. And, and it was in that kind of... Um, difficulty that everything I realized I, I just didn't know anything I realized I had no idea and I was ready to absolutely surrender and admit to that I don't know I don't know anything I don't know what this life is for I don't know what I am for I don't know what I am I don't know anything and it was that kind of deep profound surrender and willingness to drop everything Think about that idea in relation to what real learning is and the way in which the those three words, I don't know, can can really leave such room for learning. Whereas every conclusion that we draw, every every belief that we have where we're holding something as true, something as real, that may not be, is a block to learning. It just sort of it blocks learning. So that the deeper the the crack in you, mm-hmm. um, the deeper, the deeper that um, that sort of letting go and that uh, admission or surrender of just I really am open to to not knowing. That's such a beautiful platform for learning. Well, I think that because because of what came out of that, that's why even now in my you know say day job, I. That's one of the key things I always say. If you're not prepared to say, I don't know, I don't know how to create beautiful eyebrows, I don't, and have and and really surrender into that, I don't know how to create them. I don't know how to do that. If you if you haven't have the if you don't have the willingness and to surrender to that first and humility and humility, absolutely, um, then you're going to shortcut everything. That's why we teach mastery-based learning. That's why we do it because I know and I've had firsthand the absolute powerful, life-changing experience of I don't know. So let's go back. You've slammed into the wall. You've realised that you don't know. Was that that really – what was your experience of that? Heartbreaking. Was it helpful? It was first heartbreaking. But, you know, I think 
I think in a way the heartbreak just kept coming over and over, like I kept being broken, broken, broken. It was amazing. It wasn't, it wasn't only helpful, it was a revelation. You know, it was like, oh, my gosh, I actually had awakenings. You know, I was waking up. Like I, it was like I was under a spell and I was waking up from the spell and it was the hardest thing for me that I'd ever done in my whole life because, as I said, I had a very strong personal will. And yet... Um, it was remarkable. I, I, I had this incredible access to what was deeper in me, such incredible access, and, and it was amazing. I, I fell in love, actually, with my inner world. Like I started withdrawing my power from externally and constantly trying, and I got quiet. I got really quiet. I did a lot of meditation. I loved it because, and, and it wasn't like the traditional meditation for me. It was exploration in my inner world. I would explore. Actually, it's a really beautiful process that I did, and I'd love to actually write about it and, and really support other people to do it because now that it's, I'm, I'm thinking about it, it's nothing like I've ever actually heard about before. I've never had, it wasn't like traditional, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, even though I did meditate like that and I used to find the deepest part of myself and it was gone you know it was so beautiful but I had another amazing process that I would do that I think I really just must have invented on my own it was just my own way of undoing everything that was false and you know the layering just started to happen I started to undo more and more and more it was quite a it was quite a powerful um, surrender that I was in for a number of years and so what are your thoughts about when you, I'm not, um, like traditional kind of therapies or modalities of treating anorexia and bulimia, um, how familiar you are, are you with them and what, what are your thoughts of that? Um, I, well, I researched into that quite a bit and I, I, I think the anorexic and bulimic mind is just too clever and it's so clever. And like I said earlier, only love can heal. Uh, real love that we talk about in the power shift. When we, we talk about love, we, we always have a capital L because we're talking about the love that we are, our true nature, our true identity. That heals us. That heals everything. And, uh, and I think that I can't say, I wouldn't go as far as to say that it doesn't work or whatever because each person's at a different, everyone's got their own, experience in life and I can't say that people should do it this way or that way but for me um, essentially you know the traditional modalities would never have worked never Um, and I think that's why I found myself in a behavioural unit rather than you know in a psychiatric sort of ward or something like that where a lot of anorexic and bulimic girls and boys go Uh, or girls and boys that are harming themselves self-harming or they're depressed or have anxiety and and then they're given medication and it's kind of like um, there's just a real bypassing there of something that's too important, I feel. And I think that that's where the parents, I did some work with some parents, which I loved. You know, the parents suffer so much in all of this. And uh, I loved working with the parents where the parents were coming and, and, and we were working together and, and, and how they began to impact and influence their, their children that were going through this. You know, we have to... We have to take some accountability, responsibility. We're demonstrating to our children how to use their power and uh, and how to shift their power. We're demonstrating to them how to be in the world and they're looking up to us. If they can't look up to us, they're going to have to internalise and start looking inside themselves and what do they know? 
And it's not about... Or watch video hits and see if they can figure it out. It yeah. Worse. <laughs> but then the, the, then there's the other side. Should the parent feel guilty? Absolutely not. I mean, who, who, who was your guide? Who, who helped you? Who helped you to use your power? This isn't about guilt and blame. This is about evolution. This is about the opportunity we have here to, to really look and go, you know what, it's okay not to know, and now I have a willingness to know. Maybe I've just, I'm under a bit of a misunderstanding. Is that what's happening? So I think for as far as traditional therapies, you know, I, if it's medication, I feel sad about that. I feel sad that we would bypass so much that could be a part of a human being's evolution to just dull the mind or the brain somehow with medication when it's, it's a cry for, for help. It's a call for love, as, um, you know, I, I believe. And, uh, and I think that I think we need to really look at all, the, all of the masks that anorexia and bulimia uses, even now with, you know, body image issues, women getting older and doing all these things to their faces and being afraid to age and... You know, not being able to just allow life to unfold and be in it in a way that is is so beautiful and and honourable. You know, there's so many phases to anorexia bulimia. I mean, my recovery has given me freedom, and I think that that for me is one of my biggest things is is that internal freedom, the freedom to move in this life in a way where I'm unencumbered and. Um, and you actually wrote a book um, about your whole journey with with your e your eating disorders, um, but you didn't publish it. Um, it was called Love Answered. Um, why didn't you at that stage? I, I wrote that book in thirty days. You remember that, right? Thirty days I wrote it, and um, I think I think it was so personal back then. It was so personal, and uh, I know I, I know you would remember that um, a journalist or editor came up and actually her daughter was going through anorexia bulimia and I was helping her. She was, she was referred to me and uh, she was so impacted by how I helped her that she came up literally and was editing the book. Do you I, remember I, that? I do remember she that. She was lovely. And then after that I didn't publish it. I think it just, it just didn't feel right. I wasn't moved or pulled to get that, to publish that book. And I think the power shift um, is, is it's the book that went in its place. And mm -hmm. I think it's, it's really... The power shift is so much about actionable steps and things that we can use, like the principles I was missing and that so many of our children and we are missing in this life that are life-changing. They're giving us the, the right formula. Um, because, you know, the reality is everyone just wants to be happy, right? We want to know how can we have this joy that we know is within us. How do we access that? And if we don't know how to access it within, we're going to be looking outside of ourselves all the time. That's all that's happening. It's really that simple. And so how did you come to, um, I mean, in, in your 30s, you were engaged by um, Melbourne University um, to speak with students. You were um, also by the Victorian government um, to help mothers create healthy eat, eating habits. You were on national radio. And how did all of that um, um, come, sort of come to be? And, and what do you recommend now for, for sort of raising children and teenagers? I think... Um I think that came to be because of a boldness. I had this boldness in me. I'm not saying that it was a, it was even the right thing to have done back then. When I, you know, I was just so bold. Do you bold. think it was the wrong thing? No, no. I, I actually, in fact, it's not like I'm judging it one way or the other. Really, I just, I was just bold. I had I, my transformation inwardly was so 
unbelievable for me. I mean, I when I was 16, I had epilepsy. Mm-hmm. At 32, when I began my transformation, it disappeared. I didn't have it anymore. I didn't go to a neurologist. I was just free of it completely. And um, So that would have been a difficult um, relationship with bulimia and epilepsy. Absolutely. That's why when I contacted the behavioural unit, I, there was a waiting list and I got in immediately when I was 20 years old. They mm-hmm. put me in the next, the next week. Because, of course, that, that's very problematic. Um, and, and so I, I it just, I, it, love healed it, completely healed it. And uh, it was amazing, actually, even the thought of that. And, I'm, of course, I'm not telling anyone to do anything, you know, if, if they have a condition or a med- medical disorder. No, this is absolutely not medical uh, advice. advice and shouldn't be construed as so. Absolutely. Yeah, like for me, this was just my my personal experience, and um, and people have epilepsy for all different kinds of reasons, of course. And uh, but for me, that was that's that's actually what happened. It just disappeared completely out of my world. I had nothing. Like I just just was gone. And um, so. And you believe that was because of a. Um, an inner shift that you had? Absolutely. Or? And again, I will say it again, love heals everything as far as I know. It doesn't, doesn't, I don't know what that looks like for everyone on the outside, but for me it looked like epilepsy was gone. My anorexia and bulimia was gone. I was not being mastered by fear. Love was my was moving me, love was guiding me, love was speaking to me. I was, Even though I had a lot of other voices that started to come up in me, I knew I had another choice, whereas I never knew that before. I'd forgotten that. I'd actually shut that right down. So, you know, when I started writing press releases because I'd put together, I used to wake so up at 3 Can o'clock. I just interrupt yes, there for yes, a second? Yes. So when you're talking about that, my sense is, and tell me how, how this fits in, that you're talking about love heals everything. You're, you're referring to, are you referring to physically? Um, no. Or, or are you referring to um, what do you mean by that specifically? Um, I, I, what I mean is, as I said, I don't know what that looks like on the outside. We can never say that love heals and oh, that means you've got a broken leg and all of a sudden you're going to be running you know, the next day. That's not what or I'm talking about. Disease, yeah, I'm not yeah, talking yeah. about that. I'm talking about the mind. I'm talking about your heart and your mind. Love will heal that. You know? and, in and the even midst if, of anything. Absolutely. And even mm-hmm. if my epilepsy remained, you know, it wouldn't be a bother, even if... The anorexia and bulimia, well, it can't. It can't remain. You can't have fear and love at the same time, you know. So that, but yes, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. So I'm not talking about a physical, um, you know, but I don't know what, you know, I don't know what other people's experiences are. Like some people have miraculous healings, you know. I, that's, I can't speak for everyone. I can only speak for me. And what occurred for me is my mind, love was healing my heart. It was healing my mind. Fear was lessening. I wasn't. I didn't have a relationship to fear as much as I did, and it was still there. But I, I was moving through it. I had an inner, inner access to love in my mind. You know, I knew love was, love was what I was, and I was starting to get to know that more and more. Initially, I just thought I had access to it. I didn't believe it was me. Mm-hmm. I didn't really believe that for many, many years to come, and uh, and that was the missing link. So funny, isn't it? It's interesting, I should say, that we're prepared to say love is within me, but it's harder to say I am love because mm-hmm. we still identify with the fearful thoughts and whatever and we think they're part of who we are and our identity. 
So it took a very long time for me to actually, and still, still I'm on that journey. You know, I'm still on that beautiful path. And, but now it's an adventure. Now it's like, wow, like now it's completely different for me, you know, to how it was. But um, you asked me, you know, why I went out and I did, and went on national radio. It was boldness. It was, I was waking up at three in the morning and I was writing these incredible empowerment workshops for women who were suffering from these, you know, thoughts in their minds, fear. They were suffering from fear. Let's just replace anorexia and bulimia with fear. Fear of? Fear of well, everything, you know, fear of living, fear of hurt, fear of feeling things, you know. I mean, and the power shifter gives you the bigger context of that. So we don't have that much time for me to go into it, mm -hmm. but, you know, the power sure. shift certainly does do that. But then if we look at it, what, what we're saying is that um, – that my relationship to love had, you know, to fear had changed. Love was speaking through me. Like I was writing the words. I had to get up. I couldn't even, there would be times I'd be woken up practically to write and I'd have to just write these things. I'd wake up, I'd go back to sleep, wake up in the morning and I'd read it and I'd think, did I write that? That's amazing. I couldn't believe it. So then I had beautiful mentors that appeared really at that time in my life and um, I would write press releases and they'd say, send them. And I'd say, really? Send them. And I'd start sending them and then I'd get, you know, national radio, like Fox FM contacted me. I went on and I spoke and I got Melbourne University asking me to go out. Then I was the Victorian government, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. asked me to go out and speak to young single mums that were teenagers themselves, helping, trying to help them to get their children to And do you remember better. at the time what your advice was for them? No. Mm -hmm. I don't because it's so long ago. It yeah, really is yeah. over 20 years ago. I can't, I really don't, I can't remember um, exactly, to be honest. But it would probably be different to what it is now because I'm different. Of course. And, and it, you know, it would, it would have the same foundation, but there would be different qualities to it is what I mean to say. And, um, and I, I love that. I love that we continue to evolve and that at every what stage you, is perfect. What would you say now? Well, I or think is that, that too long? Are you asking me what I would say to well, the parents, to the mothers, to well, what just, exactly? Well, just in relation to, I asked before about parents raising children and teenagers. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe both. Whatever, whatever. Well, begin, begin yeah. with your own honesty. Begin by the power shift, read it, and start using the principles, and and stop trying to tell your children what to do and what to be, and actually demonstrate to them demonstrate it, be the pillar that they need in their in their world, become that, do whatever you had to do. I did. I did whatever I had to do. I turned myself inside out and so much of the time it was on my mind was my children. You know, and I did the best I could. Also seeing that you're doing the best you can. Like, you know, allow love to heal your own mind. Let love in. Believe in love, like really. And I'm not talking about Disney love, and that's why I'm saying read the power shift. You have to understand the difference between Disney love, that the world in your mind, you know, you're, you're, you're embracing all the time through love songs, you know, that are all heartbreaking. And, you know, all of it is just, it's almost like we're immersed in this, in this deep level of dishonesty. So read the power shift and be the pillar. Become the pillar. Join my mentoring programs. You know, I'm the, I'm, when they when they're launched, like do whatever you have to do to begin demonstrating to your children what they are looking up at you for. I mean, 
make everything, as you know, one of my teachers once said, you know, make violence, um, let violence end in you. Like, it, it's violent. Fear is violent. Fear is violent on our thinking, on our minds, on our hearts, on the world. You know, we, we talk about stopping wars. I mean, we've got the biggest war going on in our own mind. So it's like, do whatever it takes. And and that's what I would say. And I, and I, I think it's... Step one, huh? It really is, and I think it's really important, and 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 you're worth it. And that's why you came to end that violence and to to be here and let love rule your world. It's just amazing, and it has to start in your own mind. So yeah. Well, on that, thank you so much for your sharing and your openness and your um, your willingness to 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 share um, your personal experience and how you've sort of come come to this point. Thanks, Toby. Thank you, everyone. I, I, I really feel it's, um, if there's any, if in extending that there's any value, then I'm really happy to, to do it. Great. Thanks, Toby. Thanks, everyone.